if you want, you can turn to your Bibles to Exodus chapter 12. Roland mentioned having our hearts knit together. I'll tell you a story about the first time I ever went to preach in Dingus, West Virginia. Savannah, our, our youngest, she was probably six months old. Holly was four. And uh, it was nighttime. And if you've never been to Dingus, you don't, you, you've never seen dark night like this in Dingus, West Virginia. And Janet looked out the window. I mean, it was dark. And she looked at me. She said, Frank Tate, where have you brought me and my babies? And I thought, uh-oh. Well, about that time, the phone rang. And it was Gary Vance. They were all, he said, come down here to the restaurant. This is a little ways down the road. And uh, we'll get you something to eat. Well, we went down there. And the whole congregation was there. And I mean, we just instantly just fell in love. We just instantly felt such a, a kinship. It was just as being at a, at a family reunion. It was just very, very, very special. And it's been that way for 30 years. And I'm, I'm very thankful. Well, all right, Exodus chapter 12. I've titled the message this evening, The Beginning of Life. It being New Year's Eve, I thought about using the title, The Beginning of the Year. But the beginning of life, the beginning of spiritual life, that's really the subject that I want us to look at tonight in the picture that we have of the very first Passover. This is the end of this year, and it is the beginning of the next year. And lots happened in 2023, hadn't it? And lots going to happen in 2024. Largely, it's going to be a repeat. We're going to have a lot of sorrows, and we're going to have a lot of joys. There's going to be laughter, there's going to be tears, there's going to be births, there's going to be deaths. But now, what's the beginning of the year, 2024? What's the beginning? Well, what is really going to matter in 2024? Well, it's the same thing that's mattered in the last 6,000 years. It's just going to be repeated in 2024. I have six things I want to show you about the beginning of life. Number one is this. The Lord Jesus Christ is the beginning of life. Exodus 12, verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Now the Passover was so important that the Lord changed the whole calendar over. I mean, imagine suddenly making July. You know, the, the first month of, of the year. The Lord changed the calendar for this, the Passover. God's people, Israel, they were going to be delivered from Egypt, bondage in Egypt that night because of the Passover. After that first Passover, not only are the Egyptians going to let Israel go free, they're going to thrust them out. They're going to give them all their jewelry and all their gold. And all the, it just so they hurry and get out, they're going to thrust them out because that's God's purpose. God's going to give us a picture of redemption. His people, Israel, they're going to have freedom from bondage by the death and by the blood of the Passover lamb. Look back in Exodus chapter 11. The Lord told us for this happened. This is his purpose. And the Lord said unto Moses, Yet will I bring one more plague upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterwards, he'll let you go in. When he shall let you go, he shall, thir- sur- or he shall surely thrust you out from hence altogether. That was God's purpose because this Passover is a picture of redemption in God's Son. 
And the picture, just the picture, is so important that the Lord changed the pas- or changed the calendar for this and made the Passover the first month of the year for Israel. Well, this is a picture of Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is so important. All spiritual life begins in him. It all comes from him. The word beginning that's used here in our text, it doesn't just mean the start. It means the chief thing. It means the head. It means the sum. Christ is the chief thing in this matter of life. He's the head of life. He's the source of all life. And Christ is the sum of our life. He's the sum of spiritual life. It just all adds up to him. Christ doesn't just give his people life. Christ is our life. He's the sum of it. All spiritual life is in Christ. It all began in Christ. All spiritual life is earned by Christ. And all spiritual life is kept by Christ. He's the head of it. And this is God's eternal purpose. I think this always bears repeating. God didn't create Adam in the garden and expect Adam to, to obey the, the one rule that God gave him and, and earn a righteousness. And, and uh, he saw that failed, so now he, he thought he better come up with, with plan B. This is God's eternal purpose, that all life be in his son. The father's purpose is to glorify his son in all things. First John 5 verse 11 says this, this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is where? In his son. It's his eternal purpose. Now Christ is the beginning of life. He's the head of it. He's the sum of it. You and I are born dead in sin. Well, I've got good news for you. Whoever it is that believes on the Son has life. Because Christ is the head of it. He's the beginning of it. Christ is our life. All right, number two. The source of life is Christ the Lamb. Verse three says, Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying in the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. Now there's got to be a lamb. Now, you know, Israel thinking we would like to go free from bondage in Egypt. They've been crying for it. They've been praying for it. And in their wildest imagination, they never would have thought the way we're going to be set free is we're going to go pick a lamb and pin him up here. And at the right time, we're all going to sacrifice him together. And the Lord's going to use that to set us free. Nobody ever, ever, ever would have dreamed of that. They never would have dreamed of the sacrifice unless the Lord told them to do it. Now there's got to be a lamb. There's got to be a lamb as a picture of Christ who came to give life to his people. Remember when our Lord began his earthly ministry and he came walking up to John the Baptist. How did John identify him? Behold the lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. There's got to be a lamb to picture Christ. Now the natural man, I'm, wouldn't you think that when John said that, behold the Lamb of God, who taketh away the sin of the world, I just bet you almost nobody understood what he was talking about. I mean, the, the natural man doesn't have any idea, we've got to have a lamb. I need a lamb to be sacrificed for my sin. By nature we think, well, I'll just keep the law. You know, I'll do as good as I can. I know I can't be perfect, but I'll do as good as I can. And, you know, God will accept that. No, he won't either. No, he won't. 
God will only accept perfection. It must be perfect to be accepted. So God has to tell us what we need. He has to tell us that we need Christ to be our lamb. This lamb must be divinely appointed by God. Now just any old sacrifice won't do. Just going through any religious ceremony won't do. The sacrifice has got to satisfy God's character. The lamb has to satisfy God's justice. So God's got to be the one to appoint the lamb. And the lamb must be perfect. Look at verse 5. Your lamb should be without blemish. A male of the first year, you shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. Now God's not going to accept a lamb that's lame or, or blind or diseased or so old it's going to die soon anyway. This lamb can't have any spot. It can't have any blemish because it's got to be a picture of Christ. It's got to be in full health because the Lord Jesus did not lose his life. He gave it. He sacrificed himself. And he did it as the sinless sacrifice. The Lord Jesus Christ is the sinless lamb of God. There's not a spot. There's not a stain. There's not a scent even of sin on him. He's the sinless sacrifice. Otherwise, he wouldn't be able to save sinners, would he? If the Lord Jesus had any sin of his own, he wouldn't be able to take the sin of his people away from them and make it his. If he had any sin of his own, his blood would be as, as worthless as ours. He wouldn't be able to pay for the sin of his people. The lamb must be perfect because Christ is perfect. This lamb is a picture of Christ. And this lamb's got to be watched. You make sure this lamb is perfect. Verse 6 says, And you shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month. Now here the father of a family. He went out and he picked out a, a lamb for his family. He built a special pen there beside their house and he kept that lamb all by itself in that pen for 14 days. For two weeks, every time that father walked past that pen, you know what he did? He looked at the lamb to make sure it wasn't showing any signs of sickness. He, he wanted to make sure it didn't have any bruises on it, not showing any signs of disease. Every time the father went in to feed that lamb, he looked at it, he touched it, he looked to make sure this lamb is perfect. It was important that this lamb be perfect. This lamb is going to be a sacrifice for that man's firstborn. He wanted to make sure this lamb is perfect. The lamb I'm going to sacrifice to God is going to be worth something. He's perfect. But the Lord Jesus Christ, the lamb of God, boy, he was observed, wasn't he? He was watched closely by man. The Pharisees watched him so close. I mean, they were just ate up with this. They wanted to find some fault in this man, Jesus. I mean, they, they just, they hired spies. They searched. They, they, they tried to trick him up, you know, publicly and things. And they couldn't find any fault in him. When it came time, they finally said, we got to get rid of this guy no matter what. They're going to want to condemn him. The only way they could do it is find false witnesses who would lie on him. Because they knew he was innocent. Pilate examined him. Pilate said, I find no fault in him at all. There was a centurion there. He was in charge of the soldiers, you know, around the crucifixion. He was in charge of the Lord's crucifixion. And he watched everything that went on that day. He'd seen lots of crucifixions, I, I would imagine. 
Lots of people die on the cross. And he watched the crucifixion this day. He watched the Lord suffer. He watched him die because he gave up the ghost. And when it was all said and done, you know what that man said? Truly, this was the son of God. Truly, this was a righteous man. There's no sin in him. Man could find no fault with him. And more importantly, you know who else who watched the Lord? The Father. Now that's what really matters. The Father watched him. The Father judged him. And you know what the Father saw? Perfection. The Father audibly spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Now remember, this is the beginning. The chief thing. The chief thing in this matter of life, in this matter of spiritual life and forgiveness of sin is Christ the Lamb of God. He must be sacrificed for our sin. I remember years and and years ago, Brother Mahan made this statement. He says, not the power of Christ that saves. It's not the holiness of Christ that saves. It's the blood. It's the blood. It's the blood that saves. In this matter of life, Christ is the chief thing. He's the lamb to be sacrificed for sin. And unless he dies, his people can never live. All right, here's the third thing. The lamb gives life to a specific people. Verse 3 says, Speaking unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to their house, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And if the house will be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating should make your count for the lamb. Now here the father of the family, he went out and he selected a lamb. It was the right size. Just the right size to feed his family. If the family was real small and the household was real small, maybe it's just two, like me and Janet. We're empty nesters, just two of us. We'd probably have to go join with Jonathan, you know, in his house, you know, to have a lamb big enough to, to feed all of us. But the lamb selected was, was just the right size to feed everybody in that house. It was for them specifically. It was for them to eat. And this lamb, very importantly, was the substitute for a specific person. This lamb was the substitute, was the sacrifice for the firstborn in this house and nobody else. Jonathan would have a, have a lamb. That lamb, Jonathan, would be for your firstborn, for Rosalie. It wouldn't be for your neighbor's firstborn. It couldn't be for my firstborn. It's for your firstborn. There's got to be a substitute. That ram, that lamb was for a specific person. And none of it was wasted. If there's any leftovers in the morning, you are to burn them up with fire. Look over at verse 10. And you shall let nothing of it remain until the morning. And that which remaineth of it until morning, you shall burn with fire. Now why'd they do that? There can't be any leftovers. There can't be anything wasted. Here's what all that pictures. The Lord Jesus Christ came into this world, the Lamb of God. And He came to save a specific people. He came to save God's elect. God's elect are the people that the Father gave the Son to save. And He came to save them. He came to be their Lamb. 
He came to be a substitute for a specific people. All of God's elect. He came to be their substitute and nobody else's. Christ came to save those people by his sacrifice. That's what he came to do. Now I'm telling you, because of who he is, he's the son of God, because of who he is, he's a sinless sacrifice. All of those people will be saved. They must be. No one for whom Christ died will ever perish. If Christ died for someone, but they perished because they refused to accept him or they refused to do something else, you know what that would mean? His sacrifice for that person was wasted, wasn't it? There'll be no waste in the sacrifice. No, the sacrifice of Christ was not in vain. He came to save a specific people. He came to be the substitute for an exact, specific people, and everyone that he died for is given life. And nothing could be more evident in the word of God than God's electing love for people. God always chooses one and passes another one by. There are too many examples in scripture to list. It's just almost on every page. God's electing love for his people. God does not love every son of Adam. He did not intend to try to save every son of Adam. God loves his people. He loves the people that he chose to save. And Christ did not come as a, as a beggar, as a martyr, trying to suffer and die for every son of Adam and give him a chance to be saved. You know, if they'll just do something to, to ratify his, his sacrifice, that makes Christ a beggar. That, may, that makes Christ a martyr, not a sacrifice. Christ came to be a sacrifice for a specific people. He came to suffer and die for those people, and he came to save those people from their sin. Right before our Savior went to the cross, he prayed to his Father. John 17, that prayer is recorded. In that prayer, he said, Father, you gave me power over all flesh that I should give eternal life to who? To as many as you gave me. That's who, I, that's who I'm going to go suffer for. He's getting ready to go, go to go to the cross to make that sacrifice for sin. And he, told, he said to his father in that prayer, I pray not for the world. I'm not praying for everybody in the world. But for them thou hast given me. That's who he's praying for. And that's the people who are saved. That's what the Passover lamb pictures. The lamb died so the firstborn would live. Now that's election. That's what that is. Now I want to say this one more time. One more time today. I'm going to say it again later on, I'm sure. There isn't anything more obvious in the word of God than God's electing love. What does scripture say to you? What does scripture say to me? Scripture tells us to come to Christ begging for mercy. We're to come to Christ begging for forgiveness. We're going to come to Christ begging him to save us because we're a sinner that needs a savior. Nowhere in the word of God does it command the elect to come to Christ. Nowhere. Christ did not stand up on that last day of the feast and cry, all you elect come unto me. He said, are you thirsty? Come to me. I'll give you drink. He said, are you weary? 
Are you weary of being under the law, not being able to keep it? Are you weary of the burden of the law? Come to me, I'll give you rest. See that? He didn't say if you're lack, come to me, I'll give you rest. He said if you're weary, come to me, I'll give you rest. You don't come to Christ because you're one of the elect. Here's the issue. Are you a sinner? Now that's the issue. If you're a sinner, you come to Christ because you need a Savior. You come begging Him to have mercy on your sorry soul. And you know what you'll find out right quick? You'll find out pretty quick. Oh, I came to Christ because the Father chose me first. I didn't know that. I came to Christ because I had a need. But you'll find out real quick. Oh, I came to Christ because the Holy Spirit was drawing me all along. I just didn't know it. (laughs) You see, none of the sacrifice of Christ is going to be wasted. Every seat in heaven will be filled. Our Savior said, I go to prepare a place for you. Every one of those places is going to be filled. There will be one empty place. There will be one person that Christ intended to be in this mansion that's not there because he lost him. Not one. And this is also true. There's plenty of room for everybody that wants to come. Now, do you need a Savior? Come to Christ. Come to Christ. If you have a desire to come to Christ, come and come right now. I mean right now. You come to Christ. Do you know why you want to come to Christ? Do you know why you have some sense of your sin and you know that you need a Savior? You know why you have that sense? Why do you want to come to Christ? Why do you want to quit trusting yourself and trust Christ? Because God's given you new one to. That's why. <laughs> See, you want to come to Christ because God's drawing you. Now, if you desire to come to Christ, you come. And you come right now. You'll find out that lamb was sacrificed for me. That lamb of God that John identified, the Lord Jesus Christ, he was sacrificed for me. You'll find that when you come to him. All right, here's the fourth thing. Life comes through the death of the lamb. Back in Exodus 12 here, verse 6. And you shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month and whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. Now that lamb must die. Must die. I raised two girls, me and Janet, I know how it would have been in my house if we'd had a little lamb pinned up outside our house for 14 days. Daddy would have had a fight on his hands putting that, killing that thing. I mean, we, Daddy had had a fight on his hands. But the lamb must die. Now you can love that lamb all you want, but the lamb must die. Love Christ all you want. He must die. He must die. Because he was made sin. Someone says, oh, I I love Christ too much to say he was made sin. Well, that's what scripture says. I mean, do you love him more than the father does? (laughs) Listen, he's got to die. He's got to die bearing the sin of his people because God's justice demands there's got to be death for sin. Either you're going to die or Christ is going to die as your substitute. One or the other. That's pictured this night in Egypt. Every home in Egypt that night experienced death. Every single home without exception. Either the lamb died or the firstborn died. 
And the only way that firstborn lived is if the lamb died in his place. Well, that's what Christ did for his people. He took the sin of his people and he suffered. He died for that sin. He died as a substitute for his people. He died the death that they deserved so that they would live, so that they'd be delivered. Now, since Christ died, he's the spotless lamb, the sinless lamb. Since Christ is the one that died, God's justice is satisfied. And now, God's justice demands that God's elect live. Demands it. Now, remember here, we're talking about the beginning, the chief thing. The chief thing in spiritual life is our life comes from the death of the Lamb, from the death of Christ, our substitute. Salvation is in the blood. It's in the blood, it's in the blood, it's in the blood, it's in the blood. And if sinners are going to be saved, the Lamb's got to die. And he did, didn't he? But now, the gospel message doesn't end there. The Passover doesn't end there. Here's the fifth thing. Life is given when the blood's applied. Verse 7, and they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and the upper door post of the houses wherein they shall eat it. Now we cannot miss this. The blood must be applied. That's why I read to you in Hebrews chapter 11 to open the service. Moses observed the Passover, ate the Passover and the sprinkling of blood. The blood must be applied. I'm telling you if everything else on this night was done right, the father went out and selected a lamb. The lamb didn't have any blemish, didn't have any spot. He watched that lamb for 14 days to make sure it was, it was, it was a lamb that was, that was perfect, that was healthy, that could be offered to God as a sacrifice. At the appointed time in the evening, the father killed that lamb. He slit its throat, caught its blood in a basin. He roasted that lamb with fire. His head with his legs and the partners thereof roasted it with fire. Took that lamb, went in and sat down with his family and ate the lamb. His firstborn would die. The blood must be applied. The blood's got to be shed and the blood must be applied. Now the same thing's true in the salvation of our souls. The blood must be applied. And we talk about, and when scripture talks about the blood being applied to our hearts, you know, David said, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. He's referring to the Passover. They dipped hyssop in the blood and that's how they applied it to their doorpost. He said, purge me with hyssop, apply the blood of Christ to my heart and I'll be clean. That's the new birth. See, God, the Holy Spirit must apply the blood of Christ to our hearts so we can have spiritual life. All right, I see that. Do you see the doctrine of that? You see that? That's plain in Scripture, isn't it? Let's get right down to where the rubber meets the road. How can I tell if the blood of Christ has been applied to my heart or not? I can't do that for my own self. God's got to do that for me. How can I tell if the blood of Christ has been applied to my heart? Well, the answer is very simple. It's faith. It's faith. Faith in Christ. Do you believe all it takes to save you is Christ? He's all it takes. His obedience, his sacrifice, his life, his death, his resurrection, and you don't have to do anything to add to it to make it enough to save you. Is it Christ alone? Do you believe that? Do you believe in the whole Christ? Everything the Bible says about him. Well, if your answer is yes, 
then the blood of Christ has been applied to your heart. The only person that can believe that is a regenerated person. This lamb must be divinely appointed. The lamb must die and the lamb must be believed. He must be believed. That's pictured here in this first Passover. Look here at verse 8. And they should eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire, and unleavened bread with bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Now the lamb, he's got to die under the fire of God's wrath against sin. That's why he must be burned with fire. And then that, that lamb must be with unleavened bread and, and bitter herbs. And here's what that's saying. When I eat that lamb with the unleavened bread, I say in Christ is my only hope of righteousness. Leaven is a picture of sin in scriptures. The only way I can be unleavened without sin is in Christ. He's the one who had no sin. And he's the one that I trust. Just like the unleavened bread we'll, we'll take here in a few minutes. That unleavened bread's a picture of the sinless body of Christ, broken for the sins of his people. And when they can eat the lamb with those bitter herbs, those bitter herbs are pictures of repentance. You know, I take those bitter herbs and I say, I don't trust anything that I've done. It's Christ alone. Christ alone. Now that's bitter to the flesh, isn't it? To say, I don't trust my works anymore. I don't I trust my works to, to bring to God and hope that they'll be good enough. I don't trust my works anymore. I trust Christ alone. Now that's bitter to the flesh. But there's no spiritual life without it. If you cannot trust your works and trust Christ alone, the blood of Christ has been applied to your hearts. Verse 9 says, Eat not of it raw, nor sodden it all with water, but roast with fire, his head with his legs with the pertinence thereof. Now don't eat it raw. Christ must die. He must die and his body must be roasted with fire, the fire of God's wrath. Don't you trust a Savior that's preached to you that did not die for you on purpose. Don't you believe it? Because it's a lie. Don't take the gospel just like you take this Passover lamb and water it down. Don't put some water in there and make some gravy to make it taste better. Don't add anything to Christ to make him taste better to the flesh like you're trying to talk the flesh into doing something. I'm not trying to talk your flesh into doing anything because our flesh is incapable of doing anything. I'm preaching Christ to you and praying the Spirit will apply the blood of Christ to your hearts. We're not trying to talk the flesh into doing anything. Just trust Christ and Christ alone as he's revealed in the Scripture. Can you trust him as he's revealed in scripture? Not some fairy tale men have made up, but as he's revealed in scripture. Can you trust him? If you can, the blood's been applied to your heart. Look at verse 11. And thus shall you eat it, with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in faith, in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. Now come to Christ in faith. Don't come trying him out and seeing if he'll, if he'll accept you. You come to him in faith, believing he'll do what he said he'll do. He's able to save even you. That's what they did on this Passover night. Now, why'd they eat this first Passover with their shoes on their feet, their loins girded, and their staff in their hand? Why'd they eat it in haste? Why'd they do that? Well, they did that because they believed God. They believe, they ate, they ate that way because they're, they're, they believe, I'm leaving this place tonight. <laughs> you know why? God said so. 
That's faith. Believe in it because that's what God said. And if the Holy Spirit has applied the blood of Christ to your heart, you believe God. You trust Christ. That's how you tell if, he, if he's applied the blood to your heart or not. All right, here's the last thing. Now, I love this one. Now, this is the beginning. This is the chief thing. Life is secure because of the land. Life's not secure because you keep the law and you sin less than you used to and you live a good moral you know, life now and you do all these good works. That doesn't make your life secure. Spiritual life is secure because of the lamb. He's the chief thing. Verse 12. God said, for I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Now it was the Lord himself. It wasn't an angel. It wasn't a death angel or something. It was the Lord. He passed through Egypt that night in judgment. In judgment. And he killed every single firstborn Egyptian baby. If their house, if their blood was not on that door, that's God's justice. But when he came to a door where there was blood on the door, nobody died there. See, when he saw blood on the door, you know what that told the Lord? There's already been death in this house tonight. There's not need for another. And this was the Lord's promise. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. I will. I think it's important to note this just because of the error that we hear. You know, people talk about the sacrifice of Christ today. Like the sacrifice of Christ is an offer to you. Won't, won't you accept it? Don't you feel sorry for Jesus because how he suffered and, and died for you? You know, won't you accept it? The blood wasn't offered to you. They put the blood on the door and went in and shut the door. They sat down and ate the Passover. More than likely, there's the firstborn sitting at that table. More than likely, he didn't see his daddy put the blood on the door. The daddy told him, I did it. The blood's out there, but you can't see it. But that's all right, because the blood's not for you. The blood's for the Lord. It's blood before the Lord. Blood before the Lord. The, the, the blood had to be offered to God as an atonement for sin. And when God sees the blood of Christ, He's satisfied. The death of Christ is all it takes to satisfy the Father. When I see the blood, I'll pass over you. Now that was given in picture that night. And God's promise is still in effect today. Just as much today as it was 2,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago. When I see the blood, I'll pass over you. Now take that promise and trust Him. Take that promise and cling to Him. Because I know how we are. I know how we are. We go through the dark, dark night of of trial and trouble. You you feel so alone and, and you think, Oh, God's going to cast me. He's cast me off now. 
he finally just got fed up with me and my weak faith and my sin. And his. You know why we think that way? Because we're looking at ourselves. You hang on in those dark, dark days to this promise. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No if, no maybe, I will pass over you. Now you trust him. Take him at his word. Trust him. Now that's the beginning. That's the sum of it all. Life is found hiding under the blood of Christ. And if you trust Christ like that, that's what you'll confess in just a few moments when you take this bread and this wine at the Lord's table. Now after this night, that night in Egypt, for 2,000 years, Israel observed the Passover. Exactly the same way as they did that very first night. And then the Lord Jesus came. And the night before, the night that he was betrayed, he observed the very last Passover with his disciples. 2,000 years of them. Now they're done. This is the last one. Because Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. And as they ate that Passover, the Lord instituted the first Lord's table. He did that 2,000 years ago. And tonight, we're going to observe that table the exact way our Lord did with his disciples 2,000 years ago. Isn't that something? So Wayne, you men, if you would, distribute the, the bread.